Hey, Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey, Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey, Amarillo is brought to you by ROI Online. Most business leaders struggle with how to transition from traditional marketing into modern marketing. ROI Online has a team of experts that makes it easy. They help you make a plan and then do most of the work to set you up for success. ROI can guide you to success at ROIOnline.com. This episode is also sponsored by Amarillo National Bank. Founded in 1892, a is now in its fifth generation of family ownership. This makes it the largest 100% family-owned bank in the United States, and they're located right here in Amarillo. Amarillo National Bank, here to stay. Today's guest is Patrick Miller, an educator at Whittier Elementary School and a member of the Amarillo College Board of Regents. Patrick's name first got on my radar in 2015. As a 25-year-old, he entered the race to become a, a member of Amarillo College's Board of Regents and won, becoming the youngest person elected to that position. Today, he's two years into that term, and everywhere I look, his name keeps popping up, from within the education world to his involvement with the local chapter of the NAACP. He's super busy, really involved in politics, and and between the end of his school day and another community meeting he had to go to, he met me at Amarillo National Bank, which very graciously let us record in a conference room there, to talk about education, politics, refugees, and why the city needs to invest in its north and east sides. Here's Patrick Miller. Patrick Miller, welcome to Hey Amarillo. Thank you for being on the podcast. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me, sir. Well, I would like to talk about uh, all the different things that you're involved with, the uh, activism, the community service, um, the educational aspects. But before we do that, I I just would like to hear a little bit about your background. So tell me how you ended up in Amarillo in the first place. Well, I just want to thank you again for having me. I was born and raised here in Amarillo, Texas. I attended Polydoro High School, graduated in 2008, uh, prior to going to West Texas Indian University, where... I first earned a bachelor's of arts in pre-law studies. However, I, you know, had some things happen in my life just, you know, for the better. My plan for law school didn't work. And I had always been interested in, you know, serving my community. And I felt like I could really have an impact in the classroom. So I actually earned my alternative certification through West Texas Sandham University to become a teacher. And I earned a Master of Arts in Teaching as well. Uh, Fast forward a few years, it's crazy to me that I'm actually in the middle of uh, earning another master's degree. I'm attending school at West Texas M University to earn a master's in educational leadership right now. I love Amarillo. My wife and I have uh, selected this as our home. We want to remain here for as long as we possibly can. We, We feel like we can continue being an asset to our community. And whatever we decide to do as a city going forward, we would definitely very much like to be a part of it. Is your family from this area? And my, my immediate family is, as well as my wife's. Uh, we do have lineage in uh, Louisiana and Oklahoma. Uh, I think some parts of even uh, Mississippi, but uh, I would say for the most part, our family is local. Do you have any idea how, um, you know, whether it's your parents or grandparents or whatever, how, how they ended up in Amarillo in the first place? On my maternal side, I, I know that my my grandfather, uh, late grandfather, 
a Clarence Lewis Wright Sr. actually made it to Amarillo for uh, a job at the power plant that's right outside of town. He worked there for many years, but, you know, early on, he was just a bachelor. And <laughs> it, it just so happened that he was not the only one from Louisiana, his part of Louisiana, to uh, venture upon Amarillo. Uh, my grandmother, who's still alive, she actually... I was here. She started working for a very established, well-known family here in town. And they, I guess, found each other somehow, and the rest is history. They had, you know, three kids, uh, my two uncles and my mother. She had my, my two siblings and I, so. Was attending college something that was new to your family? Was it something that had always been a goal of yours to, to get into education? I was very blessed with a family who actually was instilling those values of hard work, work ethic, uh, and faith in me at a very early age. There was never a question as to whether or not I would attend college. It was just a matter of where I would go. I can remember, you know, being, you know, just so young and so small, and my parents were still, you know, instilling, you know, this is great faith in me and, you know, saying great things, speaking life over me. And they had always told me I was going to go to college. So whenever I actually learned what college was or universities for that matter, I knew that I I had that obligation because I had that, you know, ability and that opportunity to actually pursue a post-secondary education. Therefore, whenever I, you know, was a senior in high school, I did definitely take advantage of the ACE program, which, you know, is in question right now. We're trying to do something about that. But, um, you know, I did attend West Texas A&M University, and ACE was a major part of that. Did you ever have an idea or a thought about leaving Amarillo or leaving the, the Texas Panhandle to go someplace else? Well, certainly. I think most people, most young people who aspire to do great things, they kind of see themselves in, you know, larger, more urban areas. However, you know, we have our plans, and then God has his. <laughs> anytime I may have had that thought about, oh, well, let me check out another city. Just maybe, you know, you know, pack up, move, consider another place home, just kind of learn from it. You know, I God always showed me a reason why I needed to just remain where I was, to bloom where I was planted. And some great things have happened, happened in my life that have allowed me to know that, you know, this is a great place for me. It's a place I was born and raised, a place that I am blessed to call home. If ever I have the opportunity to go elsewhere, I'll take Amarillo with me. Your career right now professionally is in education. So tell me how that came about and and why you decided to go that route. I believe it probably all started during my undergraduate years at West Texas University. I was volunteering uh, with my fraternity, and my wife later got involved in volunteering alongside us at Travis Middle School. Travis holds a very special place in my heart. I spent a decade there. Uh, There's a story. That's there, a long obviously. time to go to middle school. Yes, I, I know. Like, what, what, what happened there? No, um, for three years during my undergraduate studies, I actually volunteered at Travis Middle School. And, you know, just that, you know, forming that mentorship and that bond with the students was very eye-opening to me. I also uh, befriended a very great leader in our community, Dr. Dana West who's now the Amarillo Independent School District Superintendent. And she she always told me, you know, 
I know you want to go to law school. I know that is something that's important to you, but I just have this feeling you're going to be an educator. <laughs> and, you know, just as my parents did before, Dr. West kind of was in my ear. And when things didn't quite work out for me to go to law school, uh, she was right there to offer me an opportunity to serve as an instructional assistant at Caprock High School. Uh, shout out to the Longhorns. <laughs> Coming from, of course, you know, polydural cluster, I, I, all I knew was PD. And then I had to really learn Caprock and uh, uh, their culture and, and really experience their diversity. In less than a week, in the role of an instructional assistant, I had made the decision that I was definitely going to become an educator. So that's when I decided I was going to go through the postback program at WT. I finished with a master's degree, and after I earned my actual you know, certificate, Travis Middle School, lo and behold, was right there to welcome me back. So I spent then four years at the middle school that I once attended. Those were four great years. Uh, to have had the opportunity to work alongside teachers that really inspired me as a young student. I, I just I pinch myself because it's, it's unbelievable uh, to develop those friendships, those lifelong bonds, to know that they saw in me, you know, when I was a kid, the things that, you know, came to be for me as an adult. I, I definitely am very grateful and then I... What did you, know, you do at Travis? I was an eighth grade U.S. history teacher. But that was just, you know, a title, obviously. I did much more than that. Uh, I was involved as a student council co-sponsor, a men's leadership group, helped out with the site-based decision-making committee. I was on the Travis leadership team, uh, the Amarillo leadership model participant, uh, the Travis safety team. I, I just wanted to contribute. Being being a servant leader means you have to serve in order to lead. And I was just trying to, you know, model that for teachers and students alike. Had a great time doing that, and you know, I believe my experience in the classroom and uh, the things that I accomplished there for my students actually provided me with the opportunity to assume the role I have now within the district which is a curriculum assessment specialist at Whittier Elementary. It's my first year in that role, my very first year in elementary. But the funny thing is, for pre-K, I attended Whittier Elementary. All so, right. you know, God kind of makes this thing go full circle for me every step of the way. Tell me about Whittier uh, and, and maybe about Travis, too. I, I know that that's a part of town that has really been changing lately with the influx of refugees, with, you know, children from so many different cultures, different languages. I mean... How do you serve them within your work, and, and how do you reach different kids like that? It takes intentionality. They, they are willing to learn just as well as anyone else, but you have to provide them with the opportunity, and there are things that you have to do in order to become, uh, you know, even greater at your craft. But I believe just, you know, fostering an environment in which you can develop positive relationship of mutual respect with the student, allowing your barriers, your walls to be broken down in order to truly be, you know, a transformative figure to the students you teach who are from different parts of the world, I think is very important. In fact, those students perhaps, you know, aspire to be, you know, more knowledgeable than some native-born students. They, they don't take anything for granted. I'm thankful to have had that opportunity to see Travis Middle School actually become a whole lot more culturally diverse than it was when I was a student there. 
And to see that change in, you know, a remarkably short period of time uh, was very revealing. You know, Amarillo being a stage two refugee center, uh, you're obviously going to have an influx of immigrants and some of the things going on in our country over the past decade or so have really led to even more immigrants. So they are a blessing to our community. You just have to get to know them. And I think serving in an educational capacity provided me with that, you know, one-on-one opportunity with each and every one of my students who were from different parts of the world. Tell me about some of those kids themselves, because I know, you know, there are a lot of conversations about dreamers, about, you know, kids who are brought to the country as children, regardless of what their their parents did. And and that's in the middle of these, you know, big, fraught political conversations, (laughs) which we can have, but... Not everybody actually knows kids who are immigrants or who are refugees. I mean, tell me what their experience is, what, what they're like in a, a classroom setting. They're like you and I. They, they aspire to have the same type of success we want out of our lives. They want to be able to provide for their families. They want a good quality education because they know that's going to provide them with the means necessary to live the life they want to live. They are just as American as you and I. I think it's a great disadvantage for many people, uh, even here in our community of Amarillo, who don't have the opportunity to get to know the kids that I know. My heart breaks, and I find it just absolutely appalling that we consider ourselves a Christian nation or a Christian community, yet if you you know, try to have a conversation with someone who's never even encountered a dreamer or has even realized that they actually have, the words that you hear, the the hatred that's spewing from their mouths makes you question how one could even consider this a Christian nation. I believe we are. But if we are that, let's actually be that. What are some of the countries that are represented at Whittier? Oh, man. Just to give people an idea. So my first year, I'm not going to be as certain. With Whittier, I know... So obviously, there's Mexico, there's parts of South America, there are some parts of uh, the Middle East, you know, whether it's Iran, Iraq, Syria. I, but I, I believe that majority of the students that I'm referencing with their countries, I, I saw a lot of them from Travis, you know, even some, you know, Burmese students mm-hmm. or uh, students who, you know, were even from far more war-torn countries than we're, you know, very much familiar with. To give you some perspective, at Travis, at any given time, there were at least 21 different languages or dialects spoken. That's That's amazing. (laughs) Imagine that. And for the kids, it's, you know, kids are resilient. It's probably a lot easier for them to come into the country, start going to school, make friends and stuff than than for their parents. It, it may be even harder for mom and dad, you know, to, to get involved, to find work. You know, those, those barriers are more easily crossed, I think, by children. I think, I think you're right, and you hit the nail on the head on that. Uh, it, it's fascinating when you have a student who, you know, although they're, they're probably new to the country and new to your classroom, obviously, they may have had the opportunity to pick up uh, enough conversational English uh, to be able to communicate with you. So if there is a need to have a parent-teacher conference just to provide an update, you're usually speaking through the student. Yeah. So it makes you They're question if everything's being interpreted and 
uh, articulated. He says I'm doing great in school. (laughs) Uh, But uh, the kids are a blessing because they are so young and they're able to immerse themselves in our culture as Americans and they're willing to. Let's uh, let's move past your uh, your career and your professional life and talk about your life of public service right now. So you mentioned Emerald College Board of Regents. Am I correct that you are the youngest person ever elected to the Board of Regents? Oh wow! So uh, yes, sir. Okay. Uh, Congratulations short. on that. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I, I you know attribute that. To tell God me, tell me about that work. process. I mean, did it happen? Sort of. Uh, you thought well. Here's something I might try, or have you always sort of had a sense that you wanted to get into politics or community service or something like that? For me, for as long as I can remember, I've always been fascinated by the work that can be uh, accomplished through public service, whether it's at the local level, state, or national. Uh, There are people elected to various positions uh, for a reason, and when they actually do the work that they're sent to their respective places to do, I, I, I believe that Great things happen for us as Americans. So seeing some, you know, leaders uh, as a as a young youngster, <laughs> I was able to really, you know, look up to them and uh, see them as role models. Yeah, you know, as a kid, everyone like wants to be interested in sports, and I, I liked playing football, loved basketball, uh, but was not, you know, as decent at it as I would have liked. So, you know, public service, public speaking, all of that came natural to me. My knack for being involved and associating myself with leadership organizations for my entire K-12 through life and in college, it really prepared me to have that, you know, mindset of I can accomplish some of my more audacious goals someday. However, being in the classroom... I just got to a point where I knew I was making a difference, but I did not want that difference to be confined to the walls of my classroom. So I had spoken to a very good friend who was a former uh, member of the AC Board of Regents, Mary Jane Nelson. She, along with uh, Judge Thomas Jones and some other elected officials, began talking to me about that process of just running, putting my name out there and what I would have to do in order to win. And, you know, I prayed about it, spoke to my wife. Uh, she, she was excited but showed some trepidation. You know, politics can be scary. It can be nasty. However, she knew that if I were ever going to, you know, begin, you know, really, truly impacting my community, that having the opportunity to serve in the Emerald College Board of Regents, if we were blessed to be elected, would be an amazing start. I was very fortunate, you know, to to win. And I I have learned a lot over the past, it's almost three years. How Uh, long is your term? I will fortunately, for me, it's a six-year term. Six years, okay. (laughs) Kind of like the U.S. Senate, six years. So I have an obligation to the taxpayer to ensure that I fulfill the length of my term. Tell me about the role that Emerald College plays locally. I mean, you were educated at WT. Yes. Um, but uh, Emerald College, you know, has just as big of a role um, within the, the city's higher education world uh, as, as WT does. So talk to me about AC. Well, though I was educated at WT, I actually earned about 15 hours of dual credit from Emerald College while attending Polydor High School. So I had an immediate connection to Emerald College. I believe Emerald College now has an even greater role than 
most people ever imagined. Uh, I mean, we have approximately a $660 million economic relevance to this city when it comes to tax dollars or spending power of our graduates. Uh, the things that we are doing for our community, offering the degrees and diplomas program to uh, provide high school students who have great ambition to be able to earn a, a high school diploma and a college degree concurrently. Uh, we're proud of what we're attempting to do with ACE or Amarillo ACE, whatever it's being called right now. It's all a limbo. Uh, we're, we're excited to be able to provide our students with some essential resources. We have an advocacy and resource center on the Washington Street campus. That includes a food pantry, place for social services, and just, you know, having counseling services available for students and trauma. I mean, we're providing students of our generation, of the 21st century, with things that were not previously offered. Uh, uh, in fact, things that no one ever thought they needed to provide to college students. We serve a non-traditional student. You know, we are excited to be uh, the first in the panhandle, one, among the first in the state, a minority-majority uh, institution of higher learning. Emerald College is making a difference in this community. Uh, there, there are very few people that you can meet and, that you're talking to, whether it's at a restaurant or a grocery store, that don't have some type of connection to Emerald College. I went to Emerald College. <laughs> there you go. It's exciting. Go Badgers. Go Badgers. Yeah. Um, so you're involved in the education world. Uh, you are on the Board of Regents at Emerald College, but uh, there's a whole lot more to your public service. Um, different organizations, different places where you are involved than that. So talk to me about what else you do. I'm the second vice president of the Emerald Branch NAACP. I was named that back in June, I believe. Is that a path to president? Do you, if you uh, hey, stay right, active, do you uh, end up right now, leading the organization? I, I'm just happy to be where I am. We have a great leader, Floyd Anthony, who's a long-term public servant, who's been here for a while, accomplished many great things. I mean, I'm just blessed to you know work alongside him. He's in, entrusted me with some major things we're doing within the branch, and you know I'm excited to be on the executive board with he and. David Lovejoy, our first vice president, our treasurer, people may know Mr. Uh, Clement Whitaker, lifelong educator, uh, our secretary, Maxine Rab Brandon. We have, we have a wonderful team to work with. I know that a lot of community organizations tend to have, they get in a place where most of the leadership, most of the action is older generations. It's hard to recruit young people, whether it's for purposes of giving money or involvement or, or whatever. Is, is that the same sort of issue here? I don't necessarily believe it's an issue. However, it, it's definitely a topic of discussion currently. Uh, we understand that the, the elder leaders serve a great purpose in providing us mm -hmm. with the, the knowledge that we need, the wisdom we need in order to, you know, really be an effective organization in the 21st century. Uh, we're still doing great things. As an Amarillo branch, uh, we're excited. This is our 75th year of existence. Wow. So there have been many things that we've been able to get done. Uh, we have some ongoing battles, and uh, we're, we're not going to give up. I believe, you know, that Floyd Anthony and other leaders within the Amarillo branch and NAACP are willing to provide, you know, young people like me with an opportunity 
who actually serve in a greater capacity within the branch because they know that we need the experience. They know that, you know, eventually they would like to completely retire and just trust that the branch will be well taken care of for many years to come. And I think the great thing about leadership and the leaders we have like Floyd Anthony is they are willing to provide that wisdom, to lend that helping hand, and then they will move aside to let you do what you need to do because they want to see you grow. And, you know, they provided me with this unique opportunity, like I said, the second vice president, and I'm only 28. Uh, that's, that's a huge responsibility. It's not one to take lightly. And the things that I want to assist the branch in accomplishing are, uh, are great things for our community. Would you like to see more young people, whether it's with organizations like NAACP, whether it's with the Board of Regents, do, do you think we need more people in their 20s, people in their early 30s getting involved and stuff like that? We just need compassionate, caring individuals who know that regardless of their title, they can, they can truly serve. People that are interested in assuming these roles and you know, attaining these high, high positions just for the sake of political expediency are, are definitely not welcome. We, we need people who really want to make a difference in the community. Uh, we have a lot of issues here, and we need good people, good quality people, to provide some solutions that, you know, may not have been thought of. What would you like to see happen in Amarillo in the next five or ten years? I mean, there are a lot of things that are very hopeful right. that are happening downtown, construction, ballpark. Um, there are a lot of social issues that are beginning to be addressed, you know, not always willingly from a lot of people. But uh, do you feel like Amarillo is, is moving in a good direction? It's a start. I mean, the, the, the progress that we've seen downtown, it, it's undeniable. Uh, I had my doubts with regard to the parking garage, uh, the convention center hotel, embassy suites. Uh, but after attending an event uh, there a couple weeks ago, I, it's pretty I, nice, man. Okay, you can't deny it's an actually it's actually giving you know young people a reason to say, ah, look at this gym. <laughs> like downtown is great. Let, let's let's make sure downtown is attractive for young people. Let's make sure that we have more jazz bars and uh, I guess our rooftop bars under construction. We need places of recreation. For millennials, if you if you truly want us to be here and remain here, let's continue with uh, the instruction of things, the construction of things that will keep us here. In addition to all of that, within the next five to ten years, I certainly believe there's time, there is room, and it could possibly be time for a, a boulevard beautification project, whether it be uh, through a, a tier zone or something else. But I, I consider a recent vote I cast on the Amarillo College Board of Regents, and that was in favor of tiers number two, the East Gateway project that's actually going to provide for the relocation of the Big Texan, mm-hmm. uh, retail, the restaurants, a new RV park, a, a future recreational center. Uh, uh, that's going to really inject a whole lot of economic prosperity into uh, a, a once-ignored area. Right. I want Which is to the east side that, of, of it, town. Yes, in East Amarillo. I want to see that same type of in- innovation with regard to North Heights, uh, Amarillo Boulevard, which we hope to soon name the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. 
there's work on that, and I, I believe we can state that. Uh, but I, I want to see us do more than just downtown. You know, we've taken it upon ourselves on the Board of Regents and the other taxing entities in this community to say, yes, East Amarillo needs your love too, Amarillo. It's high time for North Amarillo to get shown some love. Let's end by talking. You, you mentioned Martin Luther King and uh, the efforts to rename Emerald Boulevard. I know recently on uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, you were involved in the parade, the march on a, a very cold day. Oh, man. Um, Bone chilling. Tell, uh, tell me about that and tell me about um, you know, the legacy that he has here within the black community. It, it, it's unquestionably positive. It's uplifting, spiritually moving. Dr. King meant so much not only to the African-American community, but to the world as a whole. The things for which he gave his life were important to all, regardless of wealth or class or gender or race. Dr. King was a transformative figure that is probably going to be remembered for all of human history, as one of the greatest men to ever live. His his legacy is one that we need to continue to uphold. It's one that calls us to action, to be active in our communities, to serve and love one another, and to do all we can to build each other up and not put, put each other down. Like you mentioned, we had the opportunity back in January to Uh, continue with our annual commemorative march and program. That, I want to say, just transpired was probably the the most encouraging thing I've I've seen in Amarillo in quite a long period of time. Why is that? It was was like beyond cold outside. I mean, Amarillo, we're used to fluctuating weather patterns, and we're used to – you know, ever-changing temperatures, but it, it was windy. There, there was talk of possible snow. I know there was some rain early that morning. We had even considered making some changes to the program, altering the march and all, but we said if we got to the park, Dr. MLK Park off the boulevard, and there were people there, there would be no changes. We got to the park, and it was about 10.30 in the morning, and there were already 10 cars there. By 11 o'clock, we had about 30. And now, of course, we had to tell people we would wait till the noon hour to let more people have an opportunity to be there for the lunch hour. Some people left, but a lot of them left and returned because they wanted to be part of this. They knew that, you know, given what's going on in our nation at this time in history, they wanted to be part of something positive. And if it were right here in Amarillo, they wanted to be part of history. We still have people march. <laughs> Many of us were in our cars trying to stay warm, but we had people march from MLK Park to the Potter County Courthouse, and, you know, the, the rest was history. We had a great program. Uh, James Allen in Emerald Independent School District Board of Trustee member was there. He delivered some remarks that were quite articulate. Uh, David Lovejoy, our first vice president, had some remarks. Mr. Whitaker was there with remarks. There were several political candidates uh, that were there. And what did you do? (laughs) 
I had the honor of being able to recite the I Have a Dream speech that was first delivered on August 28, 1963, during the March on Washington. What did it feel like to say those words to that crowd in Amarillo? I've spoken to hundreds of people. I've had the opportunity to articulate messages of importance to several different crowds. Not one of them compares to the crowd that I was able to deliver that message to that day. I've recited the I Have a Dream speech several times before it actually, you know, received the type of coverage it received. But on that day, with that weather, with the people that were willing to march, people that were standing there braving the cold and all the elements, it's it's a moment I will cherish forever. The lead sponsor of Hey Amarillo is ROI Online. Now, I come from a marketing background, and during my career, I learned two things. Number one, marketing is essential because it's the story you tell the world about your company. And number two, marketing is usually the last thing on your mind when you're running a business. Maybe you're leading a company, you've got to be thinking strategically, or maybe you're deeply involved in some form of production. Whatever the case, you don't have time for the details of marketing. You don't have time to do social media or build an email list or keep a website up to date. That's why you need ROI Online. This local group of marketing experts will come alongside your business to help tell your story. So you get an entire team of people who are invested in building your brand, but you don't have to manage them. You don't have to babysit them. They'll do the heavy lifting while you focus on the bigger picture. And the results speak for themselves. To learn more about how ROI Online can help your business, Visit ROIOnline.com or follow them on Instagram or Facebook. ROI Online, leading the modern marketing movement. This episode is also sponsored by Amarillo National Bank. So a, a few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to travel internationally with a group of small business owners. And they were asking me about living in Amarillo and the local business community and what makes this area special. And I found myself telling them, after a long conversation, about Amarillo National Bank. And this kind of thing has happened before. It's it's not just because I've banked with A&B for years and years or because my mortgage is with A&B. It's because the story of this bank is so intertwined with the story of Amarillo. When I want to brag about my hometown, I almost always end up talking about A&B. Five generations of ownership, 126 years in business, the largest family-owned bank in the United States, the community involvement, all the banks who have changed names and sold out and come and gone over the decades, and A&B is still here, quietly serving the people of Amarillo. That's a big deal. Amarillo National Bank's long-term focus on local businesses and local people, it's something I'm proud of, and I'm proud to have them as a sponsor. Amarillo National Bank, here to stay. Okay, we're back um, with Patrick Miller. And Patrick, this is the part of the show that I call Eight Straight. I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. <laughs> All right. Your job is to answer those uh, in whatever degree of detail you want to do it. So yes, sir. let's start off. This is an easy one. Describe Amarillo in one sentence. Amarillo is it's a big city with small town values. Works. What's your favorite place to eat in Amarillo? Oh, man. Just, just one? Just one. Oh, if I had to ju- just choose one, Bangkok, Tokyo, uh, Damien Jomtop J. Walter serves great Thai food there. What type of Amarillo weather do you love most? Not 
cold wind on a uh, oh, January day, I assume. No, no, absolutely not. My favorite type of weather, uh, somewhere between 68 and 72 degrees, partly cloudy, uh, just enough of a wind breeze to feel refreshed. Like a, a nice day in the springtime. <laughs> yes, I'd probably say kind of late March, early April. What does this area have too much of? Well, unfortunately, there are a lot of Confederate battle flags. You know, I, I, I could live without seeing a lot of those. You know, the flag I pledge allegiance to is the American flag. I don't know what everyone else's problem is. Have you ever tried to start a discussion with anyone about that? Yes, sir. How does that go? I've been enlightened. I understand the historical significance for some, but not all. What does this area not have enough of? We certainly do not have enough good entertainment venues for young adults. I know we have one in the works. Uh, the name escapes me right now. Uh, synergy, yeah, the big the big <laughs> facility over on the southwest side. That, that seems like it's going to be a lot of fun. What would you like to see? Maybe I'm lame, but maybe some like top golf type thing, uh, some some laser tag, uh, a place where you could have good beverages and good food, kind of outside patio setting, and maybe a little bit of uh, I don't know some random basketball goals there for people to just you know be able to practice on. When was the last time you visited Paladura Canyon? I would say it was probably back in June or July. My wife and I went on a you know random hike and we actually were there with a friend and we went atop the canyon and you know, visited a, a local establishment there. What's your favorite thing to do on weekends? Oh gosh. Here in Amarillo, I guess. Relax. Um, Nothing my, because you're involved my, in so many other things. My weekdays are so busy. I have something right after this, actually. Um, I, I enjoy relaxing, spending time with my wife and our, our dog, Lulu. That's our baby, our only kid right now. So stop, parents. We'll <laughs> stop bugging right now. <laughs> well, that's your grandchild. Uh, and I, I love reading. I'm currently reading uh, Walking with the Wind, a memoir of the movement by uh, Congressman John Lewis. Okay. Uh, and then we touched on this uh, briefly, but what do you hope Amarillo looks like in 10 years? I want Amarillo to truly reflect its values. Get rid of Tent City. Let's actually have a structured, uh, safe facility for those less fortunate than us. Uh, I want, as I mentioned before, North Heights and the Boulevard to actually become great places for all people to visit. I feel like Southwest Amarillo is receiving a lot of attention and has for perhaps as long as I've been alive thus far. But I, I think when you look at what North Heights has to offer and the, the, the great history, the, the culture, the people that live there, you'll be surprised to find that many people in North Amarillo want the same things as Southwest Amarillo. And they just, they need, you know, their local government to start looking out for them. And not, not in the sense of, oh, just throwing money at them, providing, but just the investments, the type of investments and abatements uh, that are being provided to the entities out in Southwest Amarillo need to be provided to uh, North Heights. And then I like, to, uh, I like to end every episode by asking my guests to endorse something. So this can be anything related to the city. What would you want other people to know about? I would like to endorse 
my church, okay. the Loft Church, uh, currently situated inside of a shopping center on 34th in Georgia. It's a non-denominational evangelical church. Uh, we have uh, Pastor Matt Johnson as our senior pastor, but he's only like 42 years of age. We have Pastor Joe Tyndall. He brings the soul <laughs> into the church. Every uh, church needs a little bit of soul. Yes, yes, sir. There's uh, Pastor Rick Chaddick, great man of God. He, I don't think, is 50 yet. And we have Pastor Matt Cordova, who's my age, whom I actually have the opportunity and blessing to meet with on a weekly basis just to discuss, you know, how God's working in our lives and try to encourage each other as men. Patrick Miller, thank you for being on Hey Amarillo. I appreciate it. I thank you and God bless you, sir. And that concludes another episode of Hey Amarillo. Thank you so much for listening. I want to say thanks to Patrick Miller for giving up some of his precious time when he's not in meetings or running for office or doing something else uh, to sit down and talk to me about his career. Uh, I want to say thanks also to ROI Online and Amarillo National Bank for sponsoring this episode. If you want to find out more about Hey Amarillo, look us up at heyamarillo.com, Hey Amarillo on Facebook or Twitter. And uh, if you don't mind, leave us a review, tell a friend, share a post on Facebook. I, I love to have these conversations, and the more people who get to listen to them, the better. Thanks for listening. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.